Hey, hey everybody on, online. This is Pastor Wayne from Summit Church. I just wanted to welcome you. Happy New Year. Let me be the first to say that to you today. And we are getting ready to do worship. Share this link with a friend. We're on several platforms here today. We're on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitch, uh, Instagram. And now we're on Rumble. So if you're a Rumble, Rumble user, you can go over there and watch the live stream today. We'll watch it again later. So share this with a friend. We're going to start in five minutes. This is your five minutes, so get, grab a Bible. I'm going to do an old, old, a New Testament overview, my five top favorite passages in the New Testament and why they matter. So grab your coffee, grab a Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook and a friend, and join me in five minutes. Two minutes and 40 seconds.
Come on up, band. So I can't forget to put it on, and I can't forget to take it off. Well, I've got so many. If you need them. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. Glad you're with us today. Thank you, Bruce. Happy New Year, the rest of you. Happy New Year. Oh, man, this is weak. I know. It's a post-party celebration. I see what's going on here. Awesome. Well, we are going to sing some non-Christmas songs for a change. I wrote this song a couple years ago. It's very appropriate for singing a new set. It's called I Will Sing a Brand New Song. So why don't you stand with me, and we're going to get into it, and Johnny's going to rip it up. And we got my niece from Colorado Springs, Emmy Mitchell, is singing on the team here today. She's going to lead us in one. It's going to be awesome. So sit back, enjoy, and also sing along. Ready? One.
and take this off. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be silly in church. We can enjoy your presence, that you're a good father. Just as a father enjoys his kids playing, you like to see us rejoicing in your presence. Because a grateful heart is a happy heart. <laughs> and a happy heart is a grateful heart. We are so grateful. Maybe we didn't get everything we asked for for Christmas, but the most important thing is we got you. We got you, Jesus. And for 10,000 years and more, we're going to worship you. We're going to be in your presence. We have a forever home purchased by Jesus. So, Lord, just minister through us and in us and around us today in this church. No matter who is here or who isn't here, God, we thank you that you're here. And that your word never fails. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. So, hear our prayers and bless our study today. In Jesus' name. You're a little special today. I got a new harmonica just for you, church.
for a second. We worship you, Lord.
Jesus, you're wonderful. We thank you, God, for your presence and your power and your spirit. That every day is Christmas, really. Because every day is Christ's day. Every day belongs to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, Tim, are you ready with the one-year Bible? I got it loaded if you're not, but why don't you come up and give us today's one reading. Be seated, everybody. Good morning, Summit Church. What a beautiful day, huh? Uh, just listening to that song, you know, it's probably the best way that you could end a year and the best way that you could start a new year is wanting more of God. That's right. No place I'd rather be. That's right. Well, since next time we'll be meeting, it'll be next year. Uh, this is the last reading for this year. And I've been saying, God promises, God promises. This book is filled with God's promises. Listen to this verse. It's from Psalm 145. Verse 13 and a half. <laughs> the Lord always keeps his promises. Amen. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. He keeps his promises. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Tim. What a way to end a year, huh? God's promises are yes and amen, one scripture says. We can take it to the bank. He's as good as gold.
Praise God. Amen. Happy New Year, Jesus. Right? Yeah. Hey, would you greet someone nearby? Say hello. Give them a high five or a hug, whatever you're comfortable doing. If you're online today, give a like, share, subscribe, poke somebody, wave at somebody, whatever you do on your platform, and join us here for our study in a few minutes. Glad you are joining me. We have lots of viewers online on various platforms. Support the ministry. Would you partner with us? Go to mysomachurch.com, click the donate button, or you can text to give. Text this number, 303-625-9434. Enter the amount of your gift in the text box. Press send and follow the prompts using a smartphone, and 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. You can also mail your, your gift to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 801. We're going to get in our study today of the New Testament. So just open to your New Testament. We're going to be all over it. Grab a Bible, a notebook, pen, a coffee, a refill, and get your Bible together. We're going to study it today. It's going to be awesome. All right. Thanks. It's getting warm in here. Should we turn down the heat a little? Is it, oh, is it just me? I'm in the jacket. I'm, taking the, I'm going to take the jacket off. Good. Lisa. Very good. I could use a mic. I don't know if I need to, though. Do I need to? Come close if you can here. How about that? How about that? I like having my hands free, especially when I'm writing on a, on a chalkboard or on a, a dry erase board. Thank you. Yes, Bruce and Sally got this for me when we went skydiving together a few years ago. Should we do it this year? All right, so who is crazy enough and likes an adrenaline pump like me and Bruce Wants to go skydiving. Okay, just just so you know, you're not on the, my liability when you go. You're on your own liability, okay? Church insurance does not cover skydiving as a ministry activity, okay? <laughs> so, if you die, it's because Jesus wanted you more than we did, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, my first time skydiving, a guy, a guy comes up to me and goes, Oh, you're a pastor? Oh, this is the express elevator to hell. I'm like, Oh, no. He's like, Don't say that to me. And uh, after the, just before I went, I was like, I was thinking about this is reverse rapture practice. You know, reverse rapture practice. We're going we're gonna to go up at least as fast as we're going down, right? And it's 120 miles an hour in your face when you're jumping out of an airplane. And Sally did it for her 55th birthday. So if Sally can do it, come on. Right, just kidding, everybody. So I have a, a talk. Hopefully you can see online. Probably can't, but that's okay. You guys can see. Um, we're going to do a quick overview of the Bible in symbols. I've done this teaching before. Um, and the Bible in symbols basically it helps us to remember the themes and the spiritual themes of the Bible using pictures. So, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. You've heard that before. I like doing the Bible in symbols because it kind of reminds me of the themes of what comes where, who did what, um, you know, what I need to remember, what are the major themes of the Bible. And so I'm going to give you the Bible and themes pretty quick. And if you want to come and take a picture of it when we're done, I've done this a few times. I've had the picture on my, on my various social media platforms. 
but I'm going to do it from memory right here. This helps me think about what are the arcs and the themes of Scripture? What is the story of, of God? What's the story of humanity? What is God trying to do with the earth from creation to today to the end of days? You know, God has a plan. <laughs> He's working a plan. I know you look around and go, God, what's your plan? This is crazy. Well, just keep in mind, he's not the only one around, right? We have the enemy of our souls, the wicked one, the devil, the prince of the power of the air, who's still loose on the earth to tempt people and to mess with us, right? And he's trying to thwart God's plan. So we're part of a resistance movement. We Christians, are in, we're in the rebel alliance against the kingdom of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. So when I look at the Old Testament themes, every, every theme in the Bible actually points to Christ. It points to Jesus. So the first, the first event of the scripture, and I just use the globe, it's the creation, the globe, right? And of course, it didn't take them long with their sin. After from Noah's day, or from Adam's day to Noah's day, sin abounded in the earth. There were lots of wicked things happening. There was a fall, the fall of man into sin. Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. They were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And they procreated, and there was lots and lots of people on the earth back then. And God said he was sorry that he ever even made people. He was sorry that he made humanity. So he only spared Noah and his family. And we know that story as the flood, the great flood. I just do two waves to represent the flood. So creation, fall, the flood. When Noah and his family came out, the ark landed on Mount Ararat, which is modern-day Turkey today. The distribution of nations, which moved towards what's modern-day Iraq, the river Euphrates, which is all kind of the, the fertile crescent. That's where creation began, was in that, that breadbasket of the world, kind of that, that, that place where all the roads met in the Middle East. There was the creation, the fall, the flood, and then there was a Tower of Babel. There was this leader named Nimrod who said, I don't like the fact that we have a God who can kill us. In fact, I want to be like God. I don't want to serve God. I'm a God. And he built a tower. He united all the men to build this tower so high that they couldn't be flooded or killed anymore. And God looked down at them and he goes, yeah, I don't like that rebellious streak in you. So he confused their languages. And Nimrod and all the languages of the world, all the people of the world, were scattered from the Tower of Babel. We have the scattering of the nations. All the languages were confused. And what's interesting about what God's doing with the kingdom of God, you think about the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy. It's like the curse is being reversed through the church. It was the scattering through languages, and God brings one heart, one nation, one language, one people, one priesthood. The, the, the curse of sin scatters, but the curse of, of God's of holiness and love and joy brings us together. Amen? Amen. That out of, out of Israel and the church, God is going to make one new man, Paul says. So we have creation, the fall, the flood, Tower of Babel, scattering of nations. And he says, I'm going to pick a man and make of him a great nation. And he, said, he says to this man, leave Ur of the Chaldees, go into a place that I will show you. And so Abram, meaning exalted father, leaves Ur of the Chaldees, the idol-worshipping people of the past. He goes, where am I going? 
He says to Sarai, his wife, I don't know. God just said leave. But where are we going? I don't know. To where a place he will show us. So we're just wandering around, waiting for God to show us? Yeah. Hop on the camel. I'm not leaving. How many of you wives would go with your husband if he didn't say where you were going? Ooh. <laughs> not right. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. How long are we going to be there? I don't know. Should I pack a bag? Probably. Probably. Right? So Abraham gets this vision as he's wandering from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan, and God gives him a new name. His name becomes Abraham. Abraham. The Ruach, the Spirit of God, is poured into him. And Sarai becomes Sarah. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, breathed onto these two people, become a great nation. And so he says, Abraham, leave your tent. Go look out in the nighttime sky. Count the stars. Have you ever tried to count the stars? <laughs> Could you do it? <laughs> Ask an astronomer if they can count the stars. They can't do it either. And they're professionals. They get paid to do that. They can't count the stars. So we, the next symbol is stars. He says, just as the stars are in the heavens, so will your offspring be. I'm changing your name from exalted father to father of many nations. He says, Abram, Abraham, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So he becomes not only the father of the Jews, he's the father of all the Arabs. It because as us Christians, when we believe in Christ, we get adopted into the family of God through Jesus, the son of Jesse. We're adopted sons of Abraham. Every Christian, every true believer is also a son of Abraham. That's at least three nations that we can name right there. Right? Lots of people look at Abraham as the father of the faith. If you talk to a Jew today, they say our faith is the faith of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? So after Abraham, and I'm going to use a ram's horn here. You guys ever see a ram's horn in Colorado? I think our Department of Wildlife has a ram's head as a symbol. There's a ram's horn. Remember the story of Isaac? He says, take your son, take your one and only son, take him to the top, sacrifice him there. And, and Abram obeys. At the last moment, when, the, when he's about to strike, an angel says, Abram, Stop. Now we know <laughs> that you'll do whatever God asks you to do. There's a ram in a thicket. And the ram was the substitutionary sacrifice instead of Isaac. So that ram's horn is a symbol of Christ. Our atoning sacrifice, our substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. Right? So then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You ever have that toy, Jacob's Ladder? You ever seen a Jacob's Ladder? It has like a, a little, you flick it and it goes pop, 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 pop. You flick it and it goes pop, 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 pop. You flick it and it goes pop, pop, pop. You ever seen one of those Jacob's Ladder toys? Yeah. Jacob had the dream. He went to a place called Bethel. He had a stone for a pillow. And he says, he's just like Abram. He's looking for a city, looking for the, the place that God is going to make and place, a promised place. And he sees angels going up and down. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And that was Bethel. That was in northern Israel. Today, you can go to a place, uh, an, a region where that probably happened. So Jacob gets his name changed. At the end of his life, he, Jacob means deceiver. He deceived his twin brother Esau. 
And, and God says, yeah, I'm not, you're not going to be the cheater anymore. I'm giving you a new name. He's wrestling with an angel all night long. And the angel was overcome. Many people think that the angel that Jacob was wrestling with was a typology or was a symbol or a theophany of Christ. That perhaps he was wrestling with Jesus in the spirit. And that angel touches his hip, throws his hip out of joint, and he says, I'm changed. He says, what's your name? He goes, what do you want to know my name for? He goes, don't worry about my name. I'm giving you a new name. You're no longer to be called Jacob, cheater, deceiver. I'm going to call you Israel, one who struggles with God and overcomes. So Israel is born through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And of course, Jacob has a son whose name is Joseph. You've seen Joseph in the amazing technicolor dream coat, Joseph in the coat of many colors. Well, Joseph was one brother of 12 brothers. And there's a word that we have that we use, and I use the Roman numeral 12 just to think of 12, that they become the 12 patriarchs, which are the fathers of the tribes of Israel. So out of the tribes of Israel in Egypt, it's so far so good when they escape famine, but after a generation, the pharaohs forget about Joseph. They forget about Jacob and, and all the, that, the Jewish people, and they begin to enslave them. And history tells it that the Jews most likely are the ones who built the pyramids <laughs> by, by slave labor. And so God sees the oppression of Israel, 400 years of slavery, and he raises up a deliverer named Moses, drawn out of the water is what Moses means. Moses was trained in Egyptian schools. He was the first literate Hebrew. There was no Hebrew language until Moses came along. The first five books of your Bible were transcribed by Moses. Most likely, Moses is the one who came up with the text and the symbols for the Hebrew language. And through Moses, we get something very important in, in the Bible. It's called the law, right? You've seen the Ten Commandments, right? The law. We talk about the law in the prophets. Without the law, you can't have prophets. Moses was the first prophet amongst many. <laughs> he was a man who was so close to God that, he that God would speak to him as a man speaks to his friends. He spoke to Moses face to face. Moses said, I'd like to see you, God. He goes, well, you can't see me and live. No man can see me and live, but you can see my glory as I pass by. So he, he gives the law. And we know the miracle stories, the parting of the Red Sea, all the writings of the law, all those things that have happened through Moses' life. He doesn't get to enter the promised land. And we believe, we Christians, in the book of Revelation, probably Moses is going to make an encore performance in the, in the end of days. That's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? But who is the leader after Moses? After Moses disappears, he dies on the mountaintop and he's gone. He was raising up a protege, who was a warrior, and he was, it, was, it was called a sword for the Lord and for Joshua, right? He was a conqueror. And so we use a sword to represent Joshua because Joshua was the conqueror of the promised land. He came after they split the Red Sea, Joshua, Caleb, the two remaining spies that gave a good report, went and conquered all of Israel. They took their inheritance. They took their possession of the promised land that land that God was giving them. Well, there was no king in Israel. All you had were leaders like Joshua. He wasn't a king. He was an army general. He was a mercenary. He was a soldier. 
He wasn't really a king. He wasn't, take, he wasn't taxing people. He was just trying to keep these ragtag Jewish people together to let them come into their inheritance. And so we come into, and I like to use the anarchy symbol. You could use any other symbol that you want. But we read about the time of the judges being a time of really anarchy. That people did whatever was right in their own eyes. They made up their own morality. They didn't listen to the law of God. They had a law unto themselves. Not dissimilar to what we had here out west <laughs> before we had a federal government or states when this was all territorial. The only law that you had was the law of the gun. Might made it right. I got the gun. You give me the stuff. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And that's the wild, wild west days of Israel. That was what was happening during the time of the judges. And so God would raise up someone like Samson or Gideon or some other leader. That could, that could rally groups of Israelis together, but they were loose, ragtag, not fitted well. And so God finally relents through the prophet Samuel and gives Israel a king. The first king, of course, is Saul, and then King David, and there was a line of kings, and then there were two nations. He divided Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And you can read, there's whole books in the Bible called the Kings. And you can read all the accounts of the Kings in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. You can read the story of the history of the Kings of the Bible and how God was working on Israel through its leaders and the priesthood and all those things. But people were messing up. They weren't living right. They weren't doing what they're supposed to do, just like today. They know what they ought to do, but they don't want to do it. They know God really is righteous and holy, but they don't want to serve him. <laughs> it's, it's human nature. It's been like this for thousands of years. And so we have a quick review. Creation, the fall, the flood, Tower of Babel, scattering of nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 patriarchs, Moses and the law, Joshua, the judges, the kings. And then we have major prophets and, and minor prophets. So I, it's just like, like a Rolling Stones leap, lips there. Okay, we got two. So we got big lips and small lips, okay? A big kiss, big kiss, small lips, all right? Because a prophet is a voice box for God. They're an oracle for God. They, they, they foretell and foretell the will of God. They speak on God's behalf. They call out sin. They say, "This thus saith the Lord, this is what is wrong. This is what you ought to be doing. And God gave major prophets, and they're major because they write larger books, and then there's minor prophets because they only write a few things. They're not, not, not some are more important than others, just some have larger writings than others. That's why we give the distinction. And then when we get to this final prophet, we get to Joel and Malachi, the two last final small prophets, we get to 400 years of stony silence from heaven. God doesn't say anything for 400 years. You think your wife giving you the silent treatment for a day is bad. Try 400 years of silence. Well, God breaks the silence with the New Testament. And that's what we've been studying all year. That's what we've been talking about all year. We have been studying the New Testament from Matthew 1 to Revelation 22, five chapters at a time per Sunday all year long. And this is the last Sunday of 2021. I'm giving you the overview of the New Testament. I'm going to give you five of what I feel like are the most crucial New Testament passages 
for the, for the New Testament believer, for a disciple of Christ. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you why I think each of these passages are crucial to the Christian life. The first symbol in the New Testament, after the 400 years of silence, is a star. Right? Christ is born. They, he, they followed the star, born unto you today. We just, we just read about it on Christmas Eve, two nights ago. In the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find the baby wrapped in rags, laying in a cow's t- trough, a cattle trough. Whoa, the king of the earth is going to be wearing rags in a cow's trough? Yeah, that's where you're going to find him. He's in this little place in Bethlehem. There's no other babies in any other cow troughs. You'll know that that's the one. The one in rags in a cow trough. Okay, weird. And wouldn't it be weird if you were out here on the ranch and you saw hay bales and you saw the hay, you see where the, the, the horses get the, and there's a baby laying in there? That'd be unusual, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's how Jesus came to the earth. That's how the shepherds knew. And God did supernatural things through the Holy Family. He protected them when Herod killed all the babies. He sent the Holy Family to Egypt for a time, and then they came back. Most likely, Jesus was three or four years old when he met the wise men, when the wise men from the east came. Um, it was after they returned um, from Egypt. or it was it, it, the, the timeline, we think of the nativity all happening at the same time. Like on the same night, the shepherds and the kings. No, it wasn't the same night. There was a gap of time when all these things happened. So Jesus was most likely a toddler when the, when the uh, Magi showed up. And then they went to, then they went to Egypt because uh, the Magi went home another way. Joseph was warmed in a, warned in a dream. And then once, when, once Herod was dead, eaten by worms, <laughs> God said to Joseph, you can go home now. It's safe. So they moved to Nazareth, this little place not in the Galilee, the northern region of Israel, um, he's born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem, but he lives in Galilee. He, he's called a Nazarene because he lives in Nazareth, this hill country around the Sea of Galilee. And it's a beautiful place. You can go there today. Um, Nazareth, Cana has a great pizza shop. We, we, ha- we had pizza there. It was amazing. So it's a real place on earth. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not like Horus or it's not like Odin or it's not like these, these mythical religions or paganistic religions it really happened jesus is a historical person all right so christ is born and as he's born he begins to show us the way one of my favorite miracles of jesus of course is the multiplication of the fish or the miracle catch and the multiplication of the fish i wrote a whole children's book about it called tilly the tilapia and jesus was showing the way to live to these fishermen these roughneck kind of blue-collar guys. They're not the rabbis. They're not the scholars. They're not the intellectuals of the day. They're just ordinary people. And he's depositing in them a new way to live, a new way to be, a new way to think about God, that God is not some impersonal force out there that's just waiting to bring the hammer down. No, God is your father. He loves you. He's your, you're his child. Just come into his family. They're like, what, what, what? God is your father. What? People didn't think of God that way until Jesus came along. And he taught them how to pray. He taught them how to walk with God as your father. That's a new way. And so Christians would often, in fact, I'll show you how they did it. There was a secret code for Christians. You'd say, you'd come into your marketplace or your stall or you'd be like, hey, have you heard, are you a, are you a follower of the way? And they'd make a curve like that. 
And if they weren't, they weren't a believer, they didn't know what you're talking about, like, no, what way is that? Like, oh, okay. Like, then the other person replied, yes, I am a follower of the way. <laughs> and that's how the Jesus fish was born. The ichthus fish was something they did in Jewish and Greek and Hebrew culture as a secret code for Christians to identify one another. They would do it in the sand on the beach, or they would do it in the flower on the kneading board. They would they'd find a way to figure out who was a Christian and who wasn't, and who knew the way, and who knew what Jesus was all about. So Jesus showed us a new way to live. Of course, he did miracles. He, did, he cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He did all those wonderful things that we know about from the, from the Gospels. But the most important thing that Jesus did is dying on a cross and being raised again to new life. Jesus showed that he had the power over death, hell, and the grave, and all the sin that we would ever commit. And he, because he lives, we get to live also. The cross of Christ is the symbol. It's the Nike swoosh of Christianity. It's, it's our elevator pitch. <laughs> it's our mission statement, right? <laughs> it's, love one another as I have loved you. That's a, that's a pretty good mission statement, right? Just love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love each other as you love yourself. That's my mission statement. That's Jesus' mission statement, right? He died in our place. He paid for sins. Because he came back to life, we get to have life too. And then Christ sends. After he ascends into heaven, we have the symbol of the Holy Spirit. He sends the comforter, the advocate, the paraclete, the, the one who speaks on the Father's behalf. In fact, it's the Spirit of Christ. Said, Christ said, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. It's the very Spirit that was indwelling Christ, now dwelling in us. Those of us who have received Christ and received his Spirit. We have a Spirit living inside of us now. That's how we have intimacy with God, spiritually. So Christ is born. He shows us the way. He dies on a cross. He's raised to new life. He gives us the Spirit. And the church is born. The church worldwide. And the mark of the church, I have a little heart there, if you can see, there's a ch church with a heart inside of it. Jesus said, they will know that you're my followers because of your love for each other. The hallmark of a true believer is love and being loving, doing the loving thing, being self-sacrificing, putting the needs of others before yourself. Being kind, even when the person doesn't deserve it. Loving your enemies. Doing good to those who hate you. Blessing those who despitefully use you. Right? Come on, right? Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? And so what we learn about being a Christian, it's an eternal way. And the final way, the final picture, here's a triangle representing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's kingdom without end. Christ has made a kingdom without end. Father. Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect harmony, perfect unity. I love the fact that this building, this building's a triangle. Just look at it. You can, oh yeah, there it is. Oh yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Family. Right? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, right? You look, we're, we're three-part beings, body, mind, and spirit, right? We, God has fit that, that triune figure into all of creation. And we know more about God, the kingdom without end, by the three in one. It's powerful. It's how people who are trying to stay sober stay sober. <laughs> it's, it's so powerful.
It's, it's, it's one of the most powerful pieces of geometry you could find anywhere. And so these are the over, overarching themes of the New Testament. I'm going to tell you why I think these passages. Passage number one is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus laying out <laughs> what it's all about. You've heard about Moses. You've heard these stories. You see how everything screwed up. You saw creation. You've seen all the bad stuff. Now let me tell you what it's really all about. And he says this in the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses, this is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you. When, you're, when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And he gives us a teaching on salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You know, a dish that loses its flavor with no salt, you don't want it. Right? Uh, if, 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 uh, if, if, if you walk in a room and there's darkness, how can you see? And he teaches about the law, teaches about anger, teaches about adultery, teaching about divorce, teaching about vows, teaching about revenge and love for the enemies. This is the most revolutionary statement and still is. This has to come from heaven. No human mind could have come up with this teaching. Verse 43 of Matthew 5. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as your children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for, for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your, own, for your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But... You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that's an impossible order without the Spirit of God living inside of you. But it is doable if you'll submit to him. And we won't do it perfectly because we're not perfect, but he is. <laughs> and the more we tap into him, the more we have the Spirit of Christ inside of us, the more we have that God personality that kingdom without end dwelling inside of us the more he manifests his love his joy his peace his patience his kindness his goodness the personality of jesus begins to unfold the more we submit the more we surrender the more we say yes amen church aren't you glad you don't have to do this on your own <laughs> couldn't do it could you i know i couldn't and that brings me to my second favorite passage in the new testament i think it's so powerful it's acts chapter two the coming of the holy spirit this is not only powerful for the church worldwide, it's powerful for you as a Christian. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of, mighty, of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability 
And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud music, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were declaring the greatness of God. They were praising God. They were declaring the gospel. And Peter preaches the first sermon of the church on the day of Pentecost. He preaches a, a sermon of repent. Christ, you murdered him, but he came back to life, and now he offers forgiveness to you. You don't deserve it, but he offers it anyway. And five or three, well, 5,000 eventually in Jerusalem become believers because of that day of Pentecost sermon. And the believers form a community. The very first church was the church in Jerusalem. And we can read about it here in Acts chapter 2, 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold the property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's a healthy church. That's a good church. You, you have a sense of God's presence. His miracle power is there. Good things are happening. There's life, right? And new people are being won into the kingdom of God. That's a good, that's a really, really good forming chapter. My next favorite one is Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, talking about life in the spirit. There's so many rich pieces in this, and you, I could teach a whole sermon just on this one passage alone. I could teach a series on this probably. He said, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. For the law of Moses was unable to give us because of the weakness of our own sinful nature. Um, skipping down here to verse, let's say, uh, 9. But you are not controlled by your sin nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. And he begins to talk about that this new way of living, not in yourself, but living with God inside of you. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of seeing the world. It's a new way of walking in the glory of God. And then my favorite part here, and like I said, I could, I could go through so much of this, but we're running low on time. The end of Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything, verse 23, uh, 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're troubled or with calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're being killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! Wow! (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) I get amazed by that. I can't get over it. I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. And if you if you can, it means you don't understand. It means you haven't experienced it. Because if you if you were a sinner like me, <laughs> you would go, "Wow, <laughs> really? I don't deserve it, but you're doing it anyway." I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I could spend the rest of my life being amazed, <laughs> and it wouldn't be enough to give the glory and the honor and the thanksgiving and the gratitude and the praise for all that he's done for me. Oh, I've got to keep moving because I've got to get you out of here. The next most important chapter, I believe, is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I do this one at weddings all the time. It says, if I could speak in the languages of, of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and had such a faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in other languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things behind me. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God knows me now completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I mean, mic drop, Paul. Wow. Amazing. Like, most poetic, most profound. I can't believe (laughs) that he got the download on that one. Thank God he did. Thank God he did. And the most formative final chapter, and I think is a chapter about endurance, and we are in difficult times, Some Christians are really under tremendous suffering right now. Thankfully, we live in a place called Douglas County, which is much friendlier to believers. But we have persecuted brothers and sisters in the world that are being tortured, that are being murdered, being raped and killed and sold into slavery just because they believe in Jesus like you and I. And they're in good company when we look at Hebrews 11. 
It's the hall of faith. It's the faith chapter. What, what do we have to do? We have to have a faith that's grounded. We have to have a faith that's rooted. We have to have a faith that will endure in times of suffering. Because suffering will come. I'd be like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian now. Nothing bad will ever happen to me anymore. Hmm. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, 10 minutes. Okay, okay, that's cute. No, yeah, that's not, that's not how it works as a Christian. Christians have bad things happen, just like lost people have bad things happen. Right? And we have to endure. It's what we're called to do. And I'm not going to read the whole faith chapter, but he goes through a litany of all these people who have suffered for their faith, but yet they endured. They were hoping and believing for a city whose builder and maker was God. God was going to show up. God was going to do it. He hasn't done it yet in fullness. He's done some of it. But I've got a down payment. But there's much better things coming. But you've got to hang in there. Don't give up now. Keep fighting a good fight. <laughs> we're in this struggle, just like Jacob. We're going to struggle and wrestle with God, but we're going to overcome. Now we're going to overcome God. We're going to overcome sin. We're going to overcome our flesh. We're going to become new men and women. He's going to change our name from sinful and lost and broken and addicted and drunken and angry to loving and good and gracious and adopted and belonging. Whew. Do you see the difference? He wants to change your name. And here's how it ends. He says in, in, in chapter, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 32, Hebrews 11, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and they ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had not something better in mind for us far that would not reach that we would not reach perfection they wouldn't reach it without us and it continues you know the the chapter divisions were put in there by scholars later but on the scroll it would continue in chapter 12 therefore since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Because we ain't got nothing to be ashamed of. Amen? That's the life of faith. The righteous are as bold as lions. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to a person who is totally surrendered to God. They're dead to themselves. They're living to Christ. You can't kill a dead man. He's already dead. Right? So we eternally live now in Christ. 
You have forever life in Christ. And I think everyone in this room has made that commitment, but you may be watching online and you haven't. Or you've, you've seen some of the stuff we did for Christmas and you're tuning in today and you're like, man, I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus this way. I've never heard anyone talk about the Bible. You're like, you sound excited about the Bible. I'm excited about the Bible. Isn't it amazing? I'm passionate about this book, this love letter that God sent to us. Because it's the living word. It's not just a book. It's alive. God speaks to me through this book. He'll speak to you. Maybe you don't know the Lord, but you, you want to start the relationship. Well, you can start it. You can say yes to Jesus right where you are. You can start right now. That never, never a better time than right now, the end of an old year, the beginning of a new year, to say, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to do 2022 all by myself anymore. I need God inside of me. I need to know him. Just say yes to him. Just say yes to Jesus. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be like, oh, I got to figure it all out. No, just say yes. Just say yes. Let him come in. Church, would you pray loud and proud with me for those who might be praying online with us to, to, to welcome Jesus in? Just pray this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, Lily, will you grab me one of those, those books with the 29 red dot on the back? I want to share something real quick. As we kind of wrap up this year, it, I, I just want to give honor, glory, praise to God that, we are, that we've been here for so long, and in March, we'll have been here for a full, for a full year. Um, kind of amazing. It was during 21 days of prayer and fasting last year that God just boop, opened the door for us to walk in this place. And we're about to start another 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And I just believe that more supernatural things may happen for this church as we pray. If we're a praying church, we call, he answers. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so I've written this book called 29 Days Closer to Jesus. And I was praying about, Lord, what do you want me to do here as we transition into the new year? What's the, what's the direction? What's the guidance? Well, the upcoming two Sundays, we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting because we're going to go into a season of fasting for 21 days from uh, January 9th through the 29th. And I'm going to do a daily reading of this book that I wrote years ago called 29 Days Closer to Jesus. It's, it's kind of a, a new believer's discipleship tool, but maybe you're an old believer that needs a brush up like, hmm, <laughs> yeah, I haven't read any of that. Oh, that's really good. It's a daily devotional, and if, if you can't afford it, just take one, or if you want to, uh, the books every, back there are all like 10 bucks a piece. If you want to go through it every day with, with us and make that your devotional tool in January during the 21 days, that's great. Um, Church of the Highlands, who helped us start the church, does a daily prayer meeting, and they're starting their 21 days on January 9th. I'm going to do an evening Facebook Live at 714. I always do a 714 Facebook Live uh, during the 21 days of prayer. And that was actually it was through a Facebook Live that I got the, the message from the guy who runs this place. And oftentimes, praying with people online or in person or over text, God does supernatural stuff. 
And that's happened this holiday season again. I've had some incredible reach outs from our online ministry and some actually some incredible giving to this church too. So I'm praising God for all of those things. So um, join us in that, will you? Will you really consider like, hey, I'm gonna do that prayer and fasting. I've never fasted before, how do I do that? Well, we'll give you the tools, we'll give you the toolbox, we'll show you how to do it. And this is a great devotional tool for, you to, for us to use during that bit. So I think that's everything I have. If you wanna partner with the ministry, you can hit the box in the back or press the donate button online. Stand with me, church, I'll give you the blessing and we'll go. Thank you, God, for a year in the Bible. Help us, Lord, to, to stay in your book. And more than to have just the word, but to have your spirit living inside of us. Help us to really look for those who are in need and be your loving hands extended to a hurting world. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May he lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Serve the Lord, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hanson. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.